Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We caught up earlier today with Tim Harrison. He's the MD of Ionic Rare Earth, Essex listed Rare Earth. Uh, explorer and developer with assets in Uganda. And we talked through the recent uh, fund rates they've done, 12 million bucks. They've also announced that they have increased the size of their resource. And we talked through the implications of that and plans for the rest of 2021. If you want our thoughts and opinions on that, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Uh, we can also find detailed company reports and analysis. There's commentary from experts from all over the world, talking about different companies and commodities, which I think you'll find fascinating. There are training courses on there to help you with your diligence process. Summaries of other interviews that we've done to save you some time, because we know you're busy. And of course, there's a thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice, friendly, civilized environment, free from trolling and abuse. And if that sounds nice to you, and it should, go and join them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Yeah, good, Matt. How are you? I'm, I'm surviving. I'm surviving. So where in the world are you speaking from? I'm coming from Melbourne, Australia, um, just at the tail end of summer. Uh, so conditions are pretty good down here. Yeah, I bet. I bet they are. I bet they are. Thanks Thanks for joining us. First time we've spoken, actually, and we do like a rare earth story as well. So hopefully you're going to educate us, hopefully, right? Yeah. Look forward to having a good chat, Matt. Um, I think we've got a, a good one here. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to having a good discussion about it. Good. Okay, well, why don't we kick off, give people that uh, one-minute overview of what it is that you are, and then I'll pick up with some questions. Okay, so Ionic Rare Earths is developing a um, ionic absorption clay in, um, in Uganda, which has um, elevated levels of, of critical and heavy rare earths. Uh, being an ionic absorption clay, these are typically low cost, high margin um, projects. Uh, so they're very simple mining and processing. Um, and we're looking to fast track Rikutu into production um, to help bring the world an alternative source of um, heavy and critical rare earths. Okay. Well, um, I think it's quite a confusing space for a lot of people because there's a lot of terminology they don't quite understand. So you've got 17 minerals. Um, but you, we, we hear these phrases, there's heavy rare earths, critical rare earths, just rare earths generally. People get quite confused. Do you want to start with some uh, vocabulary for us? Help us understand what, what we're talking sure. about. So, so we've effectively, so 17 elements um, and you've got um, your, your light rare earths, which typically come from the, the hard rock um, mineralized deposits. And so that's your lanthanum, cerium, Praseodymium and neodymium, so NDPR. Um, a lot of people know about NDPR because they're probably the, um, the the main elements that a lot of rare earth projects derive, you know, 90 plus percent of their revenue from. Then you've got your your heavy rare earths, which we consider basically anything from samarium onwards. So there's a number of elements at the bottom of the periodic table from samarium, europium, uh, gadolinium onwards. So terbium and dysposium are two that are critical for the use in um, offshore wind turbines. So um, being uh, magnet um, elements, um, you know, they are the, the, the elements that help you build the, the magnets that operate at high temperatures and maintain their magnetic characteristics. Um, then you've got uh, other speci uh, specialty heavy rare earths like um, erbium, holmium, um, and the list goes on, and they're for very niche applications. 
um, from applications in MRIs um, to, to other, you know, high-end technical applications. I mean, Erbium is, uh, is used in enabling 5G technology. So the Erbium DAPE fibre amplifier is effectively what, what makes Erbium, uh, what makes 5G technology work. Um, so they're your heavy rare earths, and that goes all the way through to yttrium. Uh, yttrium is used in defence applications. Um, and then there's the critical rare earths. The critical rare earths got their name from, um, I think it was a USGS study done in around about 2011, which identified the five rare earths that are the most critical supply stress or the, the, the elements with the most critical, um, I suppose, criticality of supply. Um, they are neodymium, europium, um, dysposium, terbium, and yttrium. And so, you know, there's a number of subsets of, of rare earths. It can get very confusing. But, um, you know, once you've done a little bit of work in this space, it's pretty, pretty easy to remember them and know where they sit. Uh, relative to each other. Right, there you go. There's, there's some definitions for your use cases as well. And what are you after in Uganda? So being an iron consumption clay, we actually produce a basket that's a, a very balanced product. So we're producing a bit of everything. Um, that means that we're not particularly weighted to just the neodymium and praseodymium prices, but we've got a lot of exposure to the, the heavy rare earths that are at the moment sort of going up in leaps and bounds on, on you know, um, prices um, basically escalating on a daily basis. So whilst neodymium and praseodymium make up about a quarter of our basket, um, you know, there's another quarter of our basket that's highly weighted to some of the, the more expensive, higher value um, heavy rare earths. Thanks for um, running through um, that for us. But before we kind of get into, you know, where this resource update that you've just announced today and what that could mean for you going forward. Let's kind of work out where you've come from, where it originally started. So if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. So um, Ionic Rare Earths acquired the interest in the Makutu Rare Earth Project back in about August of 2019. Um, the company was looking for um, a, a Rare Earth Project and um, fortuitously previous directors um, were made aware of uh, Renzori Rare Metals and the Makutu Rare Earth Project in Uganda. Um, so the company moved quite quickly to secure um, an initial option. Um, we took a 20% interest in the project. Um, and then since that time, we've been working on an earn-in arrangement where we currently own 51% of Renzori Rare Metals, which is the Ugandan private company that owns 100% of the Makutu Rare Earth Project. Um, and under the agreement, we have um, option to earn up to 60% upon the completion of a bankable feasibility study, um, which nominally is going is due to occur around about sort of September, October of 2022. Um, but we've also, through the nature of the agreement, uh, got the effectively the right um, first option over the, the other 40% of the project. So, um, you know, we've got quite a, a good relationship with our partners within Renzori Rare Metals and we've been very collaborative over the course of the last 18 months in advancing Makutu from, you know, a very early stage exploration project where, you know, there was, you know, probably around about 2,000 metres of drilling had been completed across the asset. Um, we've now gone and completed around about four and a, about, about 4,700 metres of diamond drilling 
um, which has gone into this um, new resource estimate update. Okay, so t- tell me about this, um, the 40% component in terms of having a first option, because that becomes quite interesting. Yeah, so um, I suppose the opportunity for uh, long term is to potentially look at the way in which we may be able to consolidate the overall um, interest of the project. Um, and we're working with our with our partners within Renzori about maximising the overall value of, of Makutu and making sure that we've got a development strategy that um, certainly makes it a very attractive deposit for, for developing and, you know, any way in which we can simplify the overall development of Makutu is something that we're going to explore. Well, I, I do want to get into that in, in, in a second because you've raised 12 million bucks recently. Okay, so that's obviously sets out story right. for this this year through to the feasibility study. But how much has been spent to date to get to where you are? We uh, so we, we've spent about four million Australian um, on the, the the projects to date. Um, so that that includes a number of milestone payments that have been made to our um, Ugandan partners as well. So. Um, you know, the, the cost associated with getting and the technical work programs to get from, you know, the August 2019, the initial 20% stake up to the, the, the 51% um, earning was around about 1. Um, 1.7, 1.8 million US dollars in recollection. Um, and so, you know, the, the company has been quite frugal with, uh, with the funds. We've, we've prioritised spending into the ground. Um, the bulk of that money has been spent on on drill programs across the well. What was you know previously we had tenements that covered 26 kilometres in length. Um, we've recently increased that up to 37 kilometres from end to end. So it's a very large deposit, but very shallow. So um, the drill program we completed uh, recently um, was you know 4,000 metres completed in uh, 2020. That was about 233 holes. Average depth is only 17 metres. So it's a very shallow deposit. And so we get a lot of value for, for the money that we put into the ground in, in, uh, in Uganda. Yeah, no, yeah, I noticed they sort of very, very, sh- um, it, I noticed it's shallow because there was a very little overburden as well, which was obviously good news in terms of cost. But you spent four million bucks to date and you're sitting at a 170 odd million market cap. That's it, and and this is, I suppose, what um, we've we've always known. Ionic absorption clays are fantastic deposits. The Chinese love them. Um, as far as being high margin deposits, they're very simple to mine, very simple to process. Um, so when the the company back in um, June, July of, of of 2019 came across this asset, um, knowing full well that there was potential for for potentially a larger deposit than um, that maybe was first thought. Um, we were very quick, or well, the company was very quick to secure that that interest. Um, and and I think through the nature of the work that we've been able to complete over the last 18 months, we've been able to deliver on that vision. And I think we now are looking at something that, that's looking like a, a very large, um, very scalable, low-cost, high-value rare earth project. Okay, well, let's talk about the the release, okay? Because it's going to allow us first up to have a conversation about how this thing moves forward. Okay, so um, obviously there's a there was a maiden resource previously, and I think you talked about moving most of it from you know inferred into the indicated category. I think you've done that. So what what are you what are the numbers that we should be aware of with the new release? 
So effectively, the, the new release is um, effectively a threefold increase in the total rare earth content at Makutu that we have now classified. Um, that includes both indicated and inferred resources. As far as the total tonnage of the deposit, um, the previous resource, 78.6 million tonnes um, at 8.40 ppm TREO, uh, the, the revised resource uh, that we've announced at 315 million tonnes at 650 ppm total rare earths is a substantial increase and one that will underpin a very long life, um, low cost and, and high value project uh, operating asset at Makutu. So, and tell me why you kind of reduced the cutoff. Is that because you went gone from 300 cutoff down to 200 cutoff, right? Why do you do, why do, you do that? Is it because you know more? Well, yeah, so we've, we've been the benefit of additional work. So we've had uh, additional metallurgical test work, which has continued to show positive improvement in the overall rare earth extraction. But one of the attributes of Makutu is that it actually has a, an elevated heavy rare earth extractions relative to the light rare earths. So um, we get the, the benefit of the, the higher extraction on the higher payables or the higher value rare earth content. So we end up with a, a effectively a, a higher weighting of the heavy rare earths and critical rare earths in our basket. Um, we've also seen, um, uh, I suppose, a, a better understanding of the overall cost profile at Makutu. Um, when we did the, the last mineral resource um, estimate, we looked at the overall um, cutoff grade and there was scope to actually pull in material that sat outside of the existing resource. Um, we went back, we had a look at the cutoff grade. We've gone back to first principles and worked up from the ground up on the overall um, evaluation and evaluation of the, the inputs that are used in determining the cutoff grade. And the other benefit has been obviously the increase in rare earth prices and, and I think that the holistic increase in forecast rare earth prices, not just out to 2030, but beyond 2030 is a bit of a, you know, we just don't know how much those rare earth prices are likely to increase. Or decrease. Like, uh, I, look, I, everything can go up and down, but I think in order for it to go down, either there needs to be a fundamental change in the consumption of rare earths or the availability of it. And I would say that um, everything that we're looking at at the moment on macro um, conditions around the world would indicate that the consumption of rare earths is likely to increase, especially those of critical and heavy rare earth nature. And given the, the potential for decreasing supply of especially the heavy rare earths, um, those current sources of heavy rare earths out of southern China, um, a strategic in value, and the Chinese have been reducing their um, their quotas uh, as a proportion of the overall rare earth production coming out of China. And there has been white papers that have forecast that those ionic adsorption clays in southern China are likely to be diminishing. Um, and ultimately that does mean in the long term that the availability of, of heavy and critical rare earths is likely to become stretched. So you think future for rare earths is, I mean, no cycles, it's all straight line up, is it? Um, look, I think there's plenty of people who have predicted straight lines up and have egg on their face. Um, I think looking at the fundamentals, um, looking at the, the current supply of, of heavy rare earths, where that comes from, you know, what new supply is likely to come online. Um, and given that, you know, outside of southern China, there's only a handful of, 
ionic adsorption clays um, that are of a scale and a size um, that is scalable to to produce long-term low-cost heavy rare earths I feel quite comfortable that Makutu is going to be, you know, in a in a peer set of itself with with maybe one other on the ability to produce low cost, high value rare earths for a long time. Okay, but there are some new entrants coming in. We're certainly a lot of people talking the language uh, of being able to produce rare earths. Um, there is unfortunately a dependency on China. So people talk about sitting outside of the Chinese ecosystem, but invariably come trotting back to the Chinese for capital of some, it's at various points, or have to insert themselves into, a, into an ecosystem or a supply chain which involves Chinese. And that means that they can, in turn, affect your ability to make margin, can't they? Um, I think that realistically, anybody who's looking at building a long-term um, rare earth business in the immediate term should have a good think about how they want to integrate China into the project. I can't see, I mean, the reality is at the moment, all rare earths are effectively ending up in China. Um, there's a, a portion that's actually being produced by, by Linus, but when it comes to the heavy rare earths, um, that is an area that the Chinese have completely dominated. Um, we're open to working with anyone um, that can basically help us deliver full value from Kutu. And, and I think that, that it's logical to think that at some point, certainly early in the life of the project, that we would have a, a strong relationship with Chinese uh, entities um, potentially taking our product, certainly presents us with the lowest risk uh, ramp up strategy. Um, and I, I think reality is that, that China has got to be part of the rare earth solution, um, certainly for the next five years. Um, beyond that, I mean, it really is going to depend on what capacity is built outside of China to process rare earth materials. Um, the product that we will generate at Makutu, being a mixed rare earth carbonate, doesn't require any cracking and doesn't have the, the radionuclide um, impacts that you will find a commonplace with um, the light rare earth mineral concentrates. So our product could effectively go straight into a rare earth separation circuit. Um, it's much more flexible. It's very readily um, soluble. Um, so our product that we're generating at Makutu, we see, you know, there's naturally a number of suitors that would actually take this product and be able to take this product quite quickly to supplement declining productions and availability of, of you know, ionic adsorption clay materials out of southern China. But people talk about the, the lack of technical expertise outside of China, okay, whether, whether it be the separation or the, or the processing. You're saying you've got a, a bit of an advantage there, but the, the reality is you'll probably move towards having some kind of Chinese influence partner relationship. Um, I think there's always an opportunity to, to learn from the people who've been there and done it. And in this instance, the ionic adsorption clays have been operated and developed for 50 years by the Chinese. They've got expertise in this, um, and we would look to tap into that expertise. I mean, it certainly would de-risk um, our development strategy, um, and, and that's certainly a, a key plank of our thinking moving forward. Okay. Do you think, if you've got any concerns, I mean, obviously you've, you've done really well, you know, spent $4 million market cap over 170 I think you've got to be pleased with that. Um, 
But do you see any negativity in the market? Because we, we read a lot of PowerPoints and presentations and listen to people saying we're, we're going to try and create an ecosystem outside of China. Do you think that's possible? This is a more, it's a more generic point rather than specifically about you. Well, look, I think it is possible. I think it's, it takes time, though. Um, when you're developing complex processing plants um, and dependent upon how many products you're trying to achieve, it can add to the complexity. And so when you're looking at projects with quite complex flow sheets um, and technical risk, um, that the ramp up profile is usually the first thing that gets hit, um, what's called a McNulty curve. And, um, you know, what we're looking to do is to basically present to the market a really simple um, processing arrangement, you know, treatment and processing of ionic adsorption clays is super simple. I mean, we're looking at heat bleaching, um, you know, this has been done by the Chinese for over 40 years. Um, it's, it's not that complex. And, and I think that that gives us a, a market advantage in ability to bring scalable projects that are low capital intensity, um, low operating costs, but, you know, we're generating a very high margin product. So we're getting the benefits of, of both worlds, the, the low capital intensity and the high margin. Do you think the Australian government and the Chinese government are going to make up and be friends again? Oh, look, I think that, uh, that that's a difficult question. That one's probably a little bit over my pay grade, Matt. I don't know. You've got an opinion? Oh, look, I, I would like to see it all get sorted out. I think, um, you know, ultimately we're, we're all trying to, to solve uh, the world's solutions together. Um, and I think, you know, China has made some, some good initiatives around looking at their, um, their carbon future. They've got ambitions to be carbon neutral by 2060. Um, they're putting things in place now to be able to make sure that they can prioritise their rare earths for their domestic requirements to help them achieve those environmental um, targets. So I think, you know, there, there is benefit in us all being able to work together. Okay, so you're just going to focus on being a miner and you're going to bring in the partner who will take care of the separation processing, et cetera, da downstream and bring money to the table. That, that's your model. Yeah, potentially. I mean, we're open to anybody who can provide us with a with a strategic advantage. We're not going to sit there and say we're looking for one thing over another. We may end up with a number of strategic partners. Um, it's really about what's going to help us bring Makutu to, to market, what helps us to de-risk the overall development of the project. It could be people who have access to, to good procurement network, networks and, um, and engineering capability. Um, groups that have experience and expertise in the development of ionic, um, ionic absorption clays, um, companies that are looking to secure or, or companies or jurisdictions or governments that are looking to secure the product. Um, and then we're happy to work with those groups to help them look at the way in which they potentially treat that product. Okay. You've got 12, 13 million Aussie in the bank. You're working, you think that'll get you through to uh, the ability to deliver a feasibility study, do you? That's the plan. So we've got a, a runway now. Um, we've gone and raised the money. Um, we've been very targeted in making sure that we've got a work program now. Um, we're focusing on initiating the environmental and social impact assessment. Um, we're just about to now with the resource estimate completed, working through the updated or the, the revised um, scoping study on Makutu, which I think will be the first opportunity for investors not familiar with ionic absorption clays to start to see the, the overall benefit, the value that, that, that is generated by, by having a, a large ionic absorption clay producing a, 
a, a basket product that's dominated by, by critical and heavy rare earths. Once we put that information out to the market, I think that will, that will greatly help the, the market get a better sense of the, the true valuation of an asset like Makutu. Um, you know, there's potential to even expand the resource. You know, we've announced this resource, um, but we've still got an exploration um, licence out to the east that's got a potential to increase the overall project by a further 50%. Um, we are looking at a very big deposit and the size of that deposit and the, the way in which we intend to process the material means that we can look at scaling up production rates. Um, you know, the, the ability to replace or, 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 or replicate modules, ramp up production and look at bringing, you know, heavy and critical rare earth supply into a market that, that might be, you know, a little bit constrained on the existing supply or certainly the, the pending supply of heavy and critical rare earths over the next 10 years. Um, so, I mean, there's a huge opportunity once we can, um, you know, demonstrate those economics and show the market where this is likely to go um, and the true value of an ionic absorption clay. Okay. I haven't talked about Uganda because I I think it's been a very short conversation. You, you've got road and port, you've got road and rail to port, good infrastructure, energy, et cetera, water. So you've kind of, the, the country's good for mining. We, I, I understand that. Um, but I do want to talk about what it is that you're going to deliver over and above the feasibility study. Because at that stage, people start looking at you. Strategic partners do come and start having conversations with you. Are you already in conversation with people? Yeah, we've been having um, discussions since about April of last year. Um, we, you know, realised that we needed to start those discussions early. Um, we've got a number of groups that we've been talking with. Um, there's continually new groups coming in wanting to talk about the project. Um, again, I think the, the best thing for us is to get to a point where we can complete the scoping study. Um, and at that point, we can then put out the, the details on the on the study, um, educate and, and provide a little bit more colour on the overall economics of Makutu. Um, and I think that that will then help the market who's maybe, you know, certain sectors of the, the strategic partnering um, process who are not as uh, familiar with the, the value of iron consorption clays as others. Um, so I think we, we just got to help sort of get that knowledge a little bit more developed and, and help groups um, get a better sense of the opportunity that that is Makutu. But it's also important for you to be clear about how you, how and where you're positioning yourself in the marketplace, right? You can understand because again, I think there's been a lot of um, car crashes down the road. You know, uh, 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 you know, historically, I know we, we've certainly been involved in funding rare earth companies. It hasn't quite worked out in the past because they don't know how to insert themselves in, in, into the ecosystem and the volatility of rare earths. Pricing, I know you're describing a, you know, slightly different different look future. Um, are you clear about what you are and what you need to be? Because it, it doesn't yes. sound like anything, you're not trying to be too clever, which is a kind of appealing in a way. Well, that's right. Keep it simple, right? It's, um, you know, we, we, we're trying to basically build an asset that's going to be a profitable asset um, coming onto market as soon as we feasibly can. So it's about keeping it simple, you know. Um, perfect is the enemy of good, right? We're basically looking to build an asset, bring it to market, bring it to production. It's scalable, so we have the ability to, to ramp up production. Um, the concept is one of build the first module, 
and then subsequent modules are funded effectively by the free cash flow generated from the first module. So, um, you know, there is an ability for us to be potentially over the course of, you know, seven years to ramp up from an initial module treating around about two and a half million tonnes per annum up to potentially 10 million tonnes per annum. Um, and at that point, producing a, a considerable amount of heavy and critical rare earths. Um, you know, if we look at that first module, two and a half million tonnes per annum would, would pr uh, produce around about a thousand tonnes a year of rare earth oxide equivalent product. Um, as we ramp that up and start to get into some of the higher grade areas, by the time we get to 10 million tonnes per annum of throughput, we're producing four or 5,000 tonnes a year of rare earth oxide equivalent material. Um, the other uh, opportunity or low-hanging fruit at Makutu is the potential to also produce scandium. Okay. Now, that's a, another rare earth. Again, probably um, not a huge amount of uh, we, we, you know, we did a show a lot about scandium. We did a show about it a week ago. So, yeah, I understand. Oh, did you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, look, I mean, a, a, a project like Makutu has the ability to bring a substantial amount of scandium, low cost, to market, which fundamentally helps and changes the story around the pricing mechanism for scandium and potentially enabling uh, mass adoption of aluminium scandium master alloys. Okay. You seem particularly pleased with that one. Oh, look, I've, uh, I've had a bit of experience with scandium in the past. Um, you know, it's been one of the things that when I first looked at the project, um, I thought, here we go, there might be a, a sneaky opportunity here. And um, through the course of you know, test work over the last 12 months, we've been able to demonstrate that that, that opportunity is something that, that is real. But things like scanning is obviously a very, very small market, right? It's very high margin, but there's there's not too much of it out there. And I think, Jan, you've spoken to someone on which we spoke to recently, John Hawkeway, who suggests that if that is the case, people just substitute it out of the design, right? That's right. But what if you can fundamentally change the pricing mechanism for Scandium by being able to bring it online at a very low cost, substantially lower than potentially your peers. Um, and because the Scandium is there, we're not having to do anything different to process it. Um, you know, potentially there's revenue that can be captured from this project by being able to market Scandium at a price point that is appealing for aluminium Scandium master alloy developers to be able to place that into the market. And they need certainty of supply for a long time out. You don't go and design an aeroplane based on being able to access Scandium and find it's not there. So, so that's part of the problem or has been part of the problem. That's right. You know, and, you know, looking at the resource estimate um, that we've announced for, for Makutu, you know, 315 million tonnes at 30 ppm Scandia, um, that's over 9,000 tonnes of Scandia um, in this deposit. Um, so that's likely that we'll be producing potentially initially quantities of 20, 25 tonnes a year, but potentially ramping that up to 100 tonnes a year or more. Okay. And it doesn't sound, you better explain to me, it doesn't sound like a lot, but you don't need to add too much of it into the mix. So th that is a significant portion of the, of the world's current usage. Oh, that would certainly dwarf the, the current consumption. But again, as I said, Matthew, I mean, it's about, fundamentally changing the pricing mechanism by being able to supply that material to market. So it does change the, um, the economics of potentially looking at aluminium, scandium, master alloys in a number of different applications. 
Um, and once we can provide the, the market confidence that that supply is there, then the adoption hopefully will, will soon follow. I mean, there's other players also in the place within the, in the Scandium space at the moment. I mean, Rio's gone in there. Um, so I think the more players, the better ultimately for, for Scandium. Yeah, Bench can say if Rio actually bring that into market or not. We wait with bated breath. Yeah, good luck to them. I mean, uh, the more the merrier and uh, a bit of diversity in supply won't be a bad thing. Okay, just want to finish off on, can you tell me a little bit about you and the team and your previous track record with regards to, you know, you've obviously done a good job here, but have you brought projects into production? So I'm a metallurgist. Um, I've been in the mining industry for 20 years. I've been with Ionic um, since February of last year. Um, I helped the, the team a little bit with some of the due diligence work. Um, before that, I was clean tech for five years. Um, clean tech on the, initially what was the, the Syston project, which then became the uh, Sunrise project. Um, so I spent a bit of time working with the team on initially the, the Syston Scandium project um, and then the, the reimagining of the Syston Nickel Cobalt project, um, incorporating um, clean tech's base technology, which is resin pulp. Um, before that, I'd spent time with Ivanhoe um, in Australia with the copper assets. Um, I've been with Fleur um, and BHP and WMC in their technology divisions. So I've had a, a varied experience across operations, projects, commissioning. Um, so I've been involved in the life cycle of projects. And, uh, and I mean, one of the attractions with Makutu was um, the low capital nature and the simplicity of the projects. Um, I mean, capital is always a challenge to develop projects. And so, you know, looking at the opportunity that is Makutu and being able to bring something to market with a low capital means there's a higher probability that this is an asset that will go to production. Okay, great. Tim, nice run through. Uh, we listen, genuinely like, we like the rare earth stories. I prefer the simpler ones um, myself. Um, suggest that they, they're not trying to do something that hasn't, they, they have not done before. So um, let's stay in touch. Let's know how you get on. Um, you said you're going to be more communicative to the market. Are you? Um, well, this is what we're doing now, right? So, I mean, a lot of exercise now about starting to um, communicate with the market. Now we've got actually material that we can start to promote the company with. So over the course of the last 12 months, we've really been focused on getting the drilling done, getting the test work done, providing a base to move forward, securing the, the tenements for another two years. You know, we've done all of those. We've, we've met our obligations. We've, we've, we've met our targets. Now it's about creating real shareholder value by completing and putting some valuation models around the, the potential size of Makutu, knowing that there's still a tremendous amount of exploration upside. Um, and, you know, it's a great time to be built, to be bringing an ionic absorption clay project to market. You know, we're seeing very strong response from rare earth pricing at the moment. Certainly the strength in critical and heavy rare earths has been fantastic. Um, and I think that this is, you know, this is the new norm. We, the, the, the current rare earth supply chain does need to be expanded. You know, there does need to be some diversity built into it. And I think a project like Makutu provides that. It's, and it provides it from a low capital intensity perspective. Beautiful. Appreciate your time today, Sam. Stay in touch. We'll speak to you soon. 
Great. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.